Welcome to the CSL Olympia podcast. In this episode, you will hear an opening prayer, followed by a talk. You can learn more about us at our website, cslolympia.org. Blessings. I look out at this beautiful community. I look beyond this beautiful community, and I see souls, I see spirit, and I know that this is the physical manifestation of something that is much bigger than me, much bigger than anybody can conceive. I call it God, I call it spirit, I call it source. It is all that, and those are just words for that lovely, numinous experience of knowing there is more than we can conceive of. And in that more, I recognize and celebrate wisdom, prosperity, love, among the many. Today, knowing wisdom shows up in this nebulous, weird place where I don't even know where it came from, and I guess that's God tapping me on the shoulder, whispering in your ear, nudging us to believe something beyond our consciousness to believe some experience beyond our consciousness. And that wisdom to me is, shows up as understanding, patience, kindness, compassion. Of course, all these are other words for love. I'll circle back to love and know that love is all there is. There's no place love isn't. It's in each of us all the time. It is each of us all the time. So I choose to overflow with that love. I am grateful for this. I am grateful for this morning where we get to listen to wisdom. We get to experience joy. We get to lean into each other in community. It's a choice. We come because we choose it. To choose to see experience and call forth more good in our own lives and in the world around us. So say yes. I say yes. More good. More wisdom. More love. An unending supply. Thank you, Spirit. Thank you, Source, for this unending supply. I'm going to let these words move into the law. The law which says, yes, ma'am, how high? More good, we call it forth, and so it is.
Let's take two minutes of quiet. Wander the paths of more good. Yeah. So this whole year we've been looking at a theme called Living Out Loud, which is about taking our spirituality out, not just, you know, as, as my friend calls it, navel-gazing. You know, we have to do some of that, yes? We have to be, you know, do our inner work, but we're also then called to take it out. And at times in our lives, we're at different points. We're doing a lot more inner work, and at times we have to take it out. You know, there's the story of... of um, a town that had to move, relocate, and half the people uh, immediately picked up their machetes and started hacking their way through the brush to the town that they were supposed to, the new location they were supposed to move to, and the other half sat back and started sharpening their knives and sharpening their knives and sharpening their machetes (laughs) and sharpening their machetes some more and sharpening their machetes some more. And pretty soon the ones who were hacking their way through the forest, their knives were dull and they were scratched and they were, you know, uh, slogging through it and having a tough time. And the other ones were still, well, the edge isn't quite right, you know? And so sometimes we get caught up in, I'm going to work on myself until I'm so perfect, but I'm really not going to take and apply what I already know into my life. And other times we're just charging through life without taking time to do the inner work of who am I really about. So we're here to live out loud. We're here to take this process to do the inner and to do the outer. And so this month we decided to... the 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 group of us who created the talks for the whole uh, year decided to play with a little uh, kind of a fun theme, a, a playful take, uh, called The Mundane, the Sacred, and the Profane, Oh My. <laughs> a little take on Dorothy of Oz as she's her chant as she's walking down the yellow brick road, lions and tigers and bears, oh my. So today we're going to look at the mundane. <sighs> the official talk title is The Mundane, Sigh. Before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. But wait, I thought this enlightenment thing would change all of that. So our culture equates mundane with boring. Yes? And we think we're here to live exciting lives, constantly doing meaningful things. But there's the dishes and there's the laundry, and there's the shopping, and taking out the garbage and paying the bills, all of the mundane things of life. But what if the mundane is a tremendously important part of life? We are here in the world, but are we actually here in the world? Are we in that process of, as the song says, living our life in the now? Our life is now. Our life is here. Are we really present in the world? The Zen Buddhist, Chinese Zen Buddhist Wu Wei was asked, how do you practice? His response was, I eat and sleep. And he was asked then, how do you differ from ordinary deluded people? And his response was, ordinary people when sleeping and eating are bound by a hundred ropes. When sleeping, they don't sleep. When eating, they don't eat, constantly thinking about a thousand things. Hence, I differ. We've been culturally trained to escape the mundane world, to, to you know, get out of this world, whether it's being raptured up into heaven, whether it's grabbing a comet, a, a, 
uh, you know, spaceship that's hanging behind uh, the comet, or whether it's just getting lost in our electronic devices. You know, I've watched people who pass each other by on the street and they never see each other because they're just looking at screens. We want to escape, but what if that whole thing is backwards and upside down? What if instead of escaping to someplace out there, someplace in the sky, someplace somewhere else, we're here to move that energy into here? What if we're called to bring high consciousness to Earth? What if we're here to see the sacred in the mundane? You know, mundane is an interesting word. It comes from a Latin root word, mundus, which simply means the world. The world. We're here to live in the world. What if we stopped categorizing and judging life in all of its ways and started recognizing that we are here as spiritual beings having spiritual experiences in this particular form, in this earthly human form? That's who we are. That's what we're here for. And we simply started experiencing life without judgment, without categorization, uh, without ex re uh, resistance, experiencing heaven as earth and earth as heaven. How would that be? What if there is no separation? What if we changed our perspective to see those tax, tasks that we consider due to cultural conditioning, because we've all been taught that, as, as ordinary, and, uh, unimportant, and mundane? What if we saw them instead as gateways to the infinite? Each and every moment. What if they are gateways to seeing ourselves? What if we invoke the beginner's mind, as the Zen Buddhists call it? Or that childlike mind, which sees things for the first time? and is present with them. Brother Lawrence, who wrote the uh, book Practicing the Presence of God, had deep insights while he was washing dishes, while he was cooking at the monastery, while he was repairing the sandals of his fellow monks. And he always began every task with a short prayer to recognize God's ever-presence and to invite guidance in whatever task he was about to begin. What if we, tried that before going shopping? What if we tried that before taking out the garbage or paying bills? What if we invited spirit in and called for us to be able to see spirit in this little process, whatever we're doing? When I lived in Los Angeles, I was part of the Sierra Club's camera committee, and we would go out as a group and photograph these beautiful places in nature. And as part of my Zen Taoist practice at the time, I would always notice what the others were photographing, and then I would look 180 degrees opposite to whatever they were photographing as a group to see what was over there. Because I knew the Tao was more important, more apparent, excuse me, in the less obvious places. And I would return with photographs that would win awards and, and get a nice price uh, when, we, when I sold them. And the people on that trip would always ask, where did you find that? And I'd always say, well, while you guys were taking pictures of this beautiful thing over here, I was looking this way and taking pictures of this over here. I, I was a bit contrary to, you know, no. yeah, I know that, that's just amazing to, for some of you. But I was finding it in the smaller, unattended places. What if we practiced that in our lives? What if the spirit isn't in the church, isn't in the magnificent, beautiful sunset? It is. But what if we also found it in the littlest things that we were doing? The dirty laundry. We are conditioned to believe that our lives should be about big, world-saving activities, 
or high impact, high adrenaline moments of excitement. We're addicted to stimulation and experience, and like any addict, we always need more and more and more. Whatever excited us 10 years ago doesn't excite us anymore. Just look at the world, yes? Got to have more drama. We might spend 10 minutes in meditation, and then we check that off our to-do list. We have our restless mind thinking about our upcoming tasks, even while we're, quote, meditating. And then we head out into our busy, restless day of important meetings and tasks, only to come home, have a restless dinner, and then fall into restless sleep. None of you do that, but you know people, right? Mm. So our thoughts are in the past or the future, but they're not here in this moment. And yet we know that the infinite presence is here in this moment. Not somewhere out there. Not in some other time. This morning, Richard Rohr is writing on grace in his weekly meditation, daily meditation. And grace is something, the givingness of the infinite, that is right here, right now. But can we see it? Yeah. This beautiful, wonderful feast is laid out for us, you might say. Do we see it? Do we take part in it? Can we turn in the opposite direction to our conditioning and see the beauty, the sacred, in exactly what we are doing now, with that beginner's mind, with that childlike thing? Think about your first kiss. Everybody there? Okay, anybody not had a first kiss? Okay. You were probably excited building up to it, yes? You were probably excited when it happened. But now, 20, 30, 40, 50 years later, whatever it is, you kiss your lover, who's probably the 10th or 12th lover you've had since that first kiss, you know? And it's just a mindless, you know, just, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to do that. What if we put the same energy into a kiss today that we did the very first time we kissed our lover? What if we had that same consciousness? One of, my, one of my prayer partners right now is newly in love. She's just a few years younger than me, so this is a person who's you know, been, been around the block for a while. And, but she's, everything is wonderful, everything, you know, she's glowy, all that stuff. She's kind of sickening, actually. But anyways. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's wonderful to experience this. You know, she's in this moment more so than before. What if we approach that with this? We're always in love, and the infinite is in love with us. We're always immersed in this love. Can we stop waiting for something exciting to happen or trying to make it happen and simply be fully present to what is right here, right now? So we're going to invite us to just take a breath and just be present for a moment. Just be present right here, right now. In response to the question of what comes after enlightenment, the Zen Buddhist answers, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. And these are the ordinary tasks necessary for living. Water for cleaning and cooking, wood for warmth and cooking. We live as humans here on this planet. 
You've noticed that? Can we live on this planet? Can we live with this planet? Not dominating it, but living with it. Living in harmony with it. To suppose that enlightenment, the recognition of the divine as us, suddenly frees us from all the mundane tasks of the world is a fantasy. We live as humans no matter how enlightened. We're here to experience the spiritual in human form and as human form. All of, all of this is a dance of life. We're engaged in this dance. Can we be really truly engaged in this dance? Or are we just kind of you know, moving from partner to partner, moment to moment, whatever? In the, the Zen Bulls, which is a model of the journey of enlightenment as well, as well as also the hero's journey stories, the hero or the enlightened one eventually returns to society. After, after they get enlightened, after they have their adventure, slay their dragon, whatever. But whereas before enlightenment, all had been obligation and duty, which the seeker had been in struggle with, had been in resistance to, after enlightenment, the same tasks, the same tasks are done with joy for simply the sake of the tasks themselves, present with the immediate present. We were in a workshop yesterday where somebody described enlightenment as as a mosquito is biting your arm, just being present with the process of the mosquito biting your arm, instead of going to immediately kill it. I shared that I would be present with that moment and then kill it quickly. We don't have to necessarily give blood. But it's being present with that, being present with what it is, seeing the sacredness in everything. Instead of thinking that we should be doing something else, something more very important. I have that in my lines as all the more very important all in capitals, like sort of like any of you who are familiar with Winnie the Pooh, there were always very important adventures that Winnie the Pooh was on with the capitals. Another Chinese uh, Zen Buddhist says, how miraculous and wondrous, hauling water and collecting firewood. When we think of what we do in our lives, how miraculous. You and I get to be here in a blink of time. You know, scientists tell us the odds of any of us existing are almost zero. All the things that had to come together for you and I to just exist, and then for the things that we're doing to have dirty laundry, to have all this stuff to exist, is amazing. I think it was Einstein who said, you know, either, either all of life is a miracle or nothing is a miracle. When we release our categorizing of things, when we stop saying this is good, this is bad, this is sacred, this is not sacred, when we stop letting go of all that stuff, all those categories, we see that all is miraculous, all is spirit. We see with clear minds and clear eyes but just as climbing a hill or climbing a tree to get a higher perspective takes some effort, it takes the effort of paying attention, of being present and recognizing. I've shared this with you before, but a Zen teacher was once asked, what is the first step towards enlightenment? And his answer was, attention. And the student said, well, yes, that's the first step. What's the next step? And the teacher replied, the first step is attention. The hundredth step is attention. The second step is attention. The hundredth step is attention. 
And so the student getting a little kind of antsy because he, he knew that there was something more that he had to be doing instead of just paying attention, says, well, what do you mean by attention? And the Zen master said, ah, by attention I mean attention. We want to do something so fabulous and so something else, and it's just really being present right here, right now. It takes the effort of paying attention, of being present and recognizing when we are caught in our nets of conditioning, and we all get caught in the nets of conditioning. It's recognizing the old mental tracks of labeling things as unimportant, mundane, and worldly that will bog us down in the fog of mind. So taking a breath and being present (coughs) clears that fog. Always seeing the grass as greener somewhere over there or living in regrets of the past will keep us focused somewhere other than the present moment, the here and now, which is the point of power. It's the only place that we can do anything, and it's the only place where we encounter the infinite presence. If we can reorient ourselves to realize that everything we do is a meditation, everything we do is meditation. It's not something we sit on a cushion or in a center like this and do for 10 minutes or 15 minutes. Everything, your life is a meditation, in case you haven't noticed it, it is. And so what that does is bring us to the idea of bringing my mind back to that centered place, just as we do in a meditation. Oh, I have this distraction over here, bring my mind back to this place. I have this distraction over here, bring my mind back to that centered place. So I invite you to spend this present moment and everything is a present moment. Living in the beauty and the power and the sacredness of this moment, of living where grace is. And so our spiritual practice that I'll invite you into this week is to set a reminder or reminders during the day. I have a friend who, every time she touches a handle, says, how am I handling this moment? Do something that brings you to a present moment to practice to become coming to center and being present with exactly where you are and exactly what you are doing. You may be standing in line at a store, you may be waiting at a traffic light, you might be taking out the garbage or some other mundane task. I invite you to flip your thinking and say, this is the most important moment and sacred moment of my day. This is the most important and sacred moment of my day. I know the oneness is right here, and I choose to notice it. Practice being present with the mundane. Are you willing to do that as a practice this year? This this year. This week, this year, this lifetime. Ernest Holmes says, as we gradually wake up, we wake up to what already exists in the mind of God. And because we wake up to it, it appears to us. We walk around to sleep not realizing that there's all this here, and we're here to wake up. That's all enlightenment is, is waking up. I want to close with a story that's from uh, Thomas Merton. And he says once, he's a, he was a Trappist monk, and he said once he met a, a Zen novice who had just finished his first year of living in a Zen monastery. And he asked the novice, what did he learn during the course of his novitiate during this first year? Half expecting to hear encounters of enlightenment and, and altered states of consciousness and discoveries of the spirit. 
But the novice replied that during his first year in the contemplative life, he had simply learned to open and close doors. To open and close doors. Merton loved this answer. He said, the quiet discipline of not acting impetuously, of not running around slamming doors, of not hurrying from one place to another, was where this novice had to begin and perhaps end in the process of spiritual growth. And it reminded him, it exemplified to him, to him the idea of play. Play at its very best, doing the ordinary while being absorbed in it intensely and utterly. If you've ever watched young children play, they are absorbed in it intensely and utterly. I invite you this week to be engaged intensely and utterly in every moment of your life as much as you can. And yes, you're going to forget. And yes, that fog will, will you know, come back. Catch yourself at it and just say, I choose to be present in this moment. We have an affirmation to remind us of this. It's up on the... Join me in this. I look and find the sacred in everything. I look and find the sacred in everything. And so we do, and so it is.